This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and today I'm talking with Pat Petrillo. For a few decades now, Pat has been a force to be reckoned with in the drum world as a player, educator, and product designer. His group, the NYC Big Rhythm Band, has just released a new record called The Power Station Sessions, and his latest product innovation is the Drumeo P4 Practice Pad. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. Patreon content now features today's guest, Pat Petrillo, discussing the recording of this version of Black Cow from his new record. We've also got lots of other drummers on that Patreon series, including Ash Sohn and Will Kennedy, talking about specific songs they've tracked drums for and all the technical and creative aspects of those recording processes. There's also a video by me illustrating my favorite warm-up routine, which I've found to be really useful and effective over the years. You can get access to this and the rest of our Patreon content for as little as $1 a month, so check that out. We'd really appreciate your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. If you're in the Bay Area, I'll be in town with the national tour of Ain't Too Proud, the Broadway Temptations musical. We'll be at the Golden Gate Theater in San Francisco from November 9th to December 4th. You can go to ain'ttooproudmusical.com for tickets. If you come to the show, please hit me up on Instagram. Come say hi. I'd love to see you. So Pat is unique among drummers in that he has a deep well of knowledge and experience in multiple aspects of the drumming business, from performing to publication to product design, and it was great to hear about it all. So here we go with Pat Petrillo. The uh, radio promotions has been doing this rollout, you know, so it's been two weeks of 
you know, advertising and it's, you know, it's starting to gain traction on some, it's been added to like 25, 30 stations as well as like just a lot of smooth jazz stations already. And it's like, fuck, you know, they can't buy it yet. <laughs> right. I try to tell them, you know, just can you wait a week, you know? And it's like, no, oh, we got to, you know, we got to grease the wheel. You know, we got to blah, 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 blah. Like, whatever you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd almost rather it come out and then you start, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. So like you're, um, you're you're getting it on some playlist. It's I, I'm I'm always curious, you know, when a drummer uh, does a solo project or kind of leads a band, whether it's live or or for a record. Um, uh, why, <laughs> you know, it's some some drummers are moved to uh, become a leader in that regard. So so what was the reason for you? I know this isn't your first venture as a leader, um, but what do you get to do as a leader that uh, you don't get to do in the rest of your life? Yeah, uh, well. I get to do tunes that, uh, A, that I, I write, which I'm starting to do a lot more writing, and B, tunes that I love in the genres that I love arranged for the instrumentation that I love, which is basically a horn band. Mm-hmm. So the name of the band is the Big Rhythm Band for, for a reason, because we, we cover a lot of rhythms, a lot of grooves. It's not just the jazz thing. It's not a funk band. It's not, you know, we kind of touch on, on a lot of things, whether it's you know, New Orleans or, or Mardi Gras Indian beats or shuffles or funk pocket or rock or anything really, you know, R&B, soul, even smooth jazz. Yeah, yeah. You know, we do whatever, you know, genre of the music fits in best. Right. I'd, so that's, that's why. I listened to uh, I listened to a good bit of the new record and it it really covers a lot of ground, um, both in terms of like where you're drawing from, sort of uh, from different genres, um, but also different drum vibes um, yeah, in terms of the grooves, it. in terms of the the tones of things, um, and. It, was it like it's 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 a it's a lot of fun to just kind of zoom around like that did you find it a challenge to make the record sound cohesive when you're drawn from all that stuff i mean that's that's a great question because some of the reviews that have come out already like i think it was one is all about jazz like the very first thing out of the gate was like generally when you listen to a record with this many genres it sounds very disjunct but not this one it makes you it makes you anxious to hear what's next, mm-hmm. you know. So um, programming it in terms of order was a little bit of a tricky thing, but um, we whittled down to nine tunes. We actually recorded, I think, eleven to twelve, to be honest. But I I kind of whittled it down to nine because I felt like a couple of them were a little bit outside of what what the vibe of the record was. To be honest, I mean, we did a couple. Um, we did a cool Brazilian thing. We did a, a Tony Maria track called Chuleta, but I never put it on the record because I didn't feel like it fit with the record. Mm-hmm. We did another rock thing. And I was like, nah, it doesn't fit, you know? And I didn't even bother mixing it. It's maybe one day I'll release it as a singer or something. But I feel as if it, it the way it's programmed, it, it goes it goes nicely um, from one track to the next. And I'm like, whoa, where's this coming from? It, it's, a, it's a fun, and I think people like it because it's a fun record. I mean, I'm not trying to get too deep with any of the music that I'm doing. Right. Not, <laughs> definitely not. And not that I, I'm not bashing any any drummer or anybody that does something sure, that's really sure. serial or deep or whatever. I just want to have fun, man. I just want to play and 
play grooves and beats that I love, that I grew up playing, that I'm that I'm drawn to. Right. And and make it fun for musicians, you know. And I didn't want to make a drummer record, you know. Right. Right. It's not really a drummer. It's a drummer record because if you like grooves, you're gonna love this record. It's just the genres are, are are very you know different, but it I think it flows really really well. I mean, again, it's not a drummer's record. You know, it's not necessarily a dig me kind of record where, you know, I'm throwing down every track and you know overplaying or, you know, whatever it may be. I'm just playing for the song and if the opportunities for feeling come about it happens in the in the course of the natural song itself i mean i just there's like there's two drum solos um i don't know if you want to go track by track whatever but um i did a a great version of running uh earth wind and fire track and Mm -hmm. i've you know grew up listening to you know from the beatles to you know, they, even though they were pretty much over, by the time I started to dig into them and, and learn the stuff, but to James Brown and 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 soul and and R and B, but then Earth Wind and Fire, like that was right in my wheelhouse when all those records came out. And it was like, you know, all in all, I am those great records. So that track running is really an instrumental uh, on the original because they do a lot of scatting. And stuff mm-hmm. so we just we rearranged it for for the, the band and i opened up the end for for a solo and that solo was one take hmm. um, so what you hear on that is what came out at that moment um right we didn't want to do any punch-ins we didn't do it to a click because there's many different tempo changes in there uh-huh. so it was just we did um pretty much um one take on every, on the whole thing, and the solo was was what I kept. I think I might have punched in a second verse or something, but other than that, what you heard is what just came out on that at that moment, which right. I love. It's interesting well, I mean, you you mentioned uh, drummer records, and and it's uh, it's kind of surprising to me how many drummer led records are are really not very drummy. <laughs> like yeah. you expect every track to just be. Uh, you know, just just this tour de force of of drums, but whether it's a jazz record or or more of a pocket record like you're doing, um, I've I've listened to and interviewed so many drummers who like when when it you know when it's their chance to lead a thing and make a record for themselves, it's very much about the group. It's very much about the music, about compositions, um, yeah. and really not a whole lot about the drums. Yeah, and, and and it's how I fit with the music. I mean, I guess that's how I grew up, um, being a drummer uh, who grew up listening to Ringo and Clyde and Jabbo and, um, you know, um, it, it just, those drummers played for the song and the music and, um, you know, people like like Stuart Copeland and, you know, all, even the rock stuff, whatever they all they all play for the song. And I I can remember one of my earliest drumming um, records, drummer led records I got was the Gad Gang, hmm. one of their first records back in the '80s. And like you just said, I expected to hear, "Wow, oh, man, it's a Steve Gad record. Let's go!" <laughs> yeah, and I'm hearing that him, you know, not barely one fill, you know, right, and that's how it goes if the calls for it it calls for it i think it's refreshing especially in today's climate you know yeah yeah for sure just play for the song man dude you know but that track running has a solo 
because uh, on the original, there's like it kind of fades out and does this really weird kind of thing. And we basically, well, this that's where the drum solo is going to go. Yeah, and then we'll kick the band back in and it. And then we did a great version of uh, Hip Hop Way and little eight or 16 bar little thing in there. So, um, and then it turned about the drum sounds. I think that's what we we're talking about before that. Yeah. You cover a lot the, of bases there too. Yeah. The variety of sounds of, or choices of drums. So, um, the way we set up, first of all, of course we did it at the power station. It was the power station session. So, um, I had Roy Hendricks, an engineer who's like a really legendary New York engineer who's done tons of people. And I said, listen, you know, two different kits, you know, different vibes, but I'm going to do like five songs on this one, five songs on that one or whatever it may be. So we set up the kits facing each other on different sides of the room, completely mic'd both kits hmm. right straight away. And, and I brought, I think, probably brought about seven snares with me. Yeah, brought about seven snares. Mm-hmm. Um, all the Lud- my Ludwig Tour de Force of snares. Right. You know, Black Beauty, Superphonic, This Delight, um, uh, Acrolyte, uh, um, um, Copperphonic. Um, I love those Copperphonics. I must have one. Yeah, you know, <laughs> a couple of six and a halfs, and then the rest. The Jazz Fest, the the reissued Jazz Fest, the five and a half deep Jazz Fest. You know, so I I used um, I used probably at least five or six of them of all the ones that I brought that worked. So for some of the like for big uh, big man on Mulberry Street, the cover that we did of the Billy Joel tune, I used. The mahogany four piece uh 12 14 floor uh 22 inch kick but i used a you know nice deep fat snare mm-hmm. and then for the more of the funk stuff up i brought out the um, um the superphonic i used the black beauty on black cow i thought that was apropos yeah nice. so a couple different tunings and range but also just sonically you know different but two different kits and you know, a variety of Zildjian symbols. Um, you know, I used the organic ride that I designed for Ludwig, not Ludwig, for Zildjian, <laughs> right, right. quite a bit. And I used that on a bunch of tracks. But then on some of the washier ones, I went to the Avidus stuff that I have mm-hmm. um, that Paul Francis had made for me when I went to Abbey Road and did the Abbey Road Sessions record, the one we did before this one. And it's kind of like a Ringo thing. So it was an 18 um, with rivets and a, and a uh, no, 18 regular and the 20 had uh, three rivets in it. So I used a 20 quite a bit. Um, and then I used 14 and 15 inch Avidus hats on a couple. And then the rest of the, of the stuff, I used a combination that I use a lot, which is 14 K Master Sound bottom with a Karope top. Like a thin rope top. That's a really, really great combination. Yeah. You know, it's almost like the old AK thing, you know? Right, right. So um, I like to use combinations of, of textures of hi-hats because, you know, the bottom gives you the chick, the top gives you the, the warmth of the stick. So. Yeah. so it's a variety of drums, variety of cymbals, and so for, for whatever tune required it is what I used. Nice, nice. 
And I mean, was the process of determining those tones like was that was that just unilateral on your part? Did you have a lot of conversations with your engineer? No, I came in ready, man. I yeah. came in. <laughs> I was like, all right, Roy, here's the list I'm using. We're gonna do here, you know, we had two days. And day one, we're gonna do that bop bop, these tunes, this kit on three of them, this kit on two of them. Yeah. Great. Boom. And then we had it all worked out because I had some really great players and some of them could only be there on certain days. Like, so I had Osnoy, the ones that he played with, he came in the first day. Um, <clears throat> we did a lot of that stuff. And then we did Nile Rogers stuff the next day. Well, one tune anyway. So right. we had to wait on him a little bit. But I mean, in general, it was all about being organized and ready to go because I didn't want to waste time when I got there. So Right. And we hear all the time about how, you know, time is money in the studio and everybody's schedules are, you know, conflicting. Especially when and, it's yours. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> time is oh, really money then. But, you know, we, we hear that conversation in terms of, like, you got to be prepared playing-wise. Um, but, uh, you know, at just as big a part of that, I think, is, is knowing what – tones you're going to go for and what instruments you're going to play um and that i think is is just as hard to get good at planning for as yeah. as the playing or at least have the first you know first go around and say okay my my plan is to use this snare because in rehearsal it sounded great and this is i feel for this song works great i don't there might have been once i, I can't remember but it might have been once where we said you know now that I think about it, let me try this. And I would put the you know, the mahogany up and say, yeah, maybe that's better or, the, or vice versa or the acrylite or whatever. But for the most part, I knew what I was going to do. And, and as we played, okay, yeah, it's working. Or, all right, let's try something else. Um, but and then I also have a, a great snare that um, Uli Salazar from Ludwig asked for uh, something different. And it's a 13 uh 13 by uh, six mm-hmm. and that thing's popping. <laughs> I use that on a side snare for, for a couple of tracks. Cool. But that stayed tuned the way it was. So yeah. So it was that, that was the thing. Choices, be prepared, come in, you know, tell the engineer what, what you want. And he appreciated that because then he knew what to mic, he knew what to go for. You know, everybody knew what was game plan. Was, you know? Right. So, not just time, you know, time is money, true, but also the musician's time. You know, cats in there don't want to sit there listening to me messing around with snares and, oh, well, maybe, maybe I want this. Oh, you know, maybe I'm a, they don't want to, <laughs> let's, let's go, man. Let's go. Let's, right. You know, you got to be ready to go. <laughs> they don't want to sit around and wait for you to pick snares out. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So you got to just do what you got to do. So, uh, I've, gotten into recording more and more and especially over covid i kind of set up this room um and it's just it's it's really blown my mind how how often i'm wrong about (laughs) the tones that i think i want to use you know i'll i'll set up a session and i'm like okay i'm gonna Mm -hmm. use this drum set and i I really want to use this snare on it and i'll just i'll I'll get sounds going and i'll do a take and i'm like man this is none of this is right Doesn't sound like I thought it was going to sound. Yeah, I mean, same thing with heads. That's the that's the tricky part too. Is like, you know, with two kits, is I, you know, like my, the main kit is as a Ludwig um, Legacy Mahogany series, um, kit over there. Oh yeah. And um, yeah. 
Legacy of Mahogany. Oh, mm-hmm. I'll sit right in front of it. You can't see it. So the Legacy of Mahogany has a really rich, warm, 50s kind of sound. So the head's got to, that you use, you know, you got to be careful or else it'll be a little too thuddy. Mm-hmm. So I did. I decided not to go with coated. So I went with the Evans uh, EQ, uh, but clear, mm-hmm. and that's that sounds the best on those drums. They really sang out beautifully. And then on the um, the Club Day kit, which is also mahogany, reply. I used um, the coated um, UB twos. Oh yeah. So I used the UB twos on that coated. Um, but you know they, the two kids sound completely different. But the head choices thing too, because if you decide, all right, I'm going to use these heads, then you know that's going to take you half an hour to take that off, right? And we, you know, so you got to be ready. And make sure that you know, you know, I tuned them all before. The, the good thing was we were allowed to get in the night before and set up, and all they had to do was come in the morning and like that. a couple of the uh you know legends that you sort of grew up idolizing and i I think a lot of us have that in common um and you i I read in one of your bios that you spent some time studying with peter erskine and i want to talk about that but i want to go back a little further like where who who in your you know very early drumming life kind of laid hands on you and 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 had the first hand in shaping you it was ringo for sure i mean like i had a I have two much older brothers than me. And um, so, like, literally, they were, like, married now in the house before I was, like, four or five years old. Hmm. So um, I, uh, made, you know, kind of inherited their records, you know. So I mean, what is this Beatles you speak of? You know? <laughs> so, uh, I would hear them go growing up as a, you know, as a boy, as a young kid and growing up and hearing the music. And I knew the lyrics of every song, you know, Inside and Out, which I still do with my wife. If we listen to Sirius XM, the Beatles channel, she'll turn to me and say, is there a song you don't know? <laughs> I said, I'm sure there'll be one sooner or later. Right. But Ringo's, you know, was my first, you know, influence in this stuff. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, just, I think in my drumming DNA, so like a lot of people, but I think you hear it a lot, maybe in my sound. Mm-hmm. And then I literally, and I tell this in clinics, I went from, in one day, I can remember playing my eight tracks hmm. and i literally went from i mean i was on the 10 something maybe i went from listening to uh, magical mystery tour and i got on my and i was in, i grew up in a very mixed neighborhood in new jersey so i was hearing all kinds of music on my block from fm radio to am radio i went down and bought my first james brown eight track Hot Pants. <laughs> and I literally went from Magical Mystery Tour to Hot Pants. Man. Yeah, yeah. 
and I and I learned, you know, I learned how to play shuffle from Ringo, but then I really learned how to play shuffle from Jabbo, listening to doing it to death. Yeah, and man, and that so track, would, that track, Hot Pants, is so cool. There and there was another, oh, yeah. another. I mean, there's multiple versions. Um, and the the one I love is is on it's it's the JBs like it's not under James Brown's oh, name sure right but like and the grooves are slightly different but that and I guess it's it's called Hot Pants Road on the JBs okay thing. yeah well uh, this was this 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 thing H I was called Hot Pants and but it had you know so many cuts on there and I, I and it just again just mesmerized and learned how to play to that so yeah. I didn't know who Ringo, I didn't know who Clyde or Jabbo was because they didn't name them on records till much later, you know. So those guys, and then, um, you know, Fred White from Earthling and Fire. Do you have a teacher um, helping you figure this out, or are you just on your no, own? Like, I'm a self-taught drummer for the most part. Yeah, I'm a self-taught drummer. So, um, and when I say that, I'll you know I'll preface that by saying I didn't really take lessons on drum set until I got to college. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in drum corps, so I learned a lot of my rudimental and got my hands and my chops together in drum corps a lot. As a little kid, as like fourteen, right, fifteen, all the way through age twenty-one, and competed in DCI and all that stuff. But um, starting out at five or six years old as a drummer, I didn't have a teacher, and I did not go to a music school to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom brought me to lessons one day, and they had this this Remo practice set like the old school white head remote practice set mm-hmm. not even a real drum set and I, I was reluctant to go so i went in there and said what can you do and i just played whatever i could play at just listening to records right and the teacher was kind of taken aback a little bit and he looked at my mom and he said, he, he doesn't really need <laughs> whatever you're doing. Just let him keep, cause I wasn't into, I wasn't into, you know, cause he wanted to get, you know, break me down into learning what we're going to do. You know, this is, again, you're talking early seventies, you know, whereby somebody's very strict with what the you know, late sixties or what they want to teach you. Right. And you have to do the pen. I wasn't about that, man. I just wanted to play the drums and have fun. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm about teaching. That's when I teach now. I still do the same thing, but I I inject, inject. Well, now that you can play, this is how you read it. This is how it goes. And I always play the records. I always play around the CDs for people. But that's how I learned. Yeah. And even like, you know, then I got into GAD because um, as I got into being my teenage years, I started. I was in jazz band school and stuff like that. But then I started, you know, like the Return to Forever records were starting to come out, and. Um, Weather Report records and, you know, guys are starting to, guys that I was hanging out with, the rudimental guys were telling me about this guy, Steve Gadd. And you got to know Steve Gadd. Like, Steve Gadd, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. Boom. It's <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that, that opened me up to like, wow, like I hear all of this like rudimental type of stuff tied to the drums. Before I knew about Tony Williams, I didn't know nothing about Tony Williams mm-hmm. or any of those guys. Or even Billy Cobham. I didn't know who he was, you know, um, with his rudimental chops. Like I said, Tony Williams, with the way he rolled around the drums and yeah. lands. I didn't know from that. I knew Steve Gadd because guys told me about him. And then I listened to every, you know, 
Chick Corea and Return, either Return of Forever or Al Jarreau records. Anything he was on, I had to get. Right. So literally, I'd say my Mount Rushmore is Ringo, Clyde and Jabbo, Gad, um, probably drummers that I heard on records that I didn't even know who, who it was, probably Keltner. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'd have to then throw somebody like Alex Acuna and or Steve Gadd. I mean, um, Peter Erskine in the mix because I would listen to a lot of Weather Report. Right, yes. Man, so much Weather Report. So yeah, speaking of Erskine, like what was your experience studying with him? Where were you sort of in your development at that point? And, uh, so I was, uh, yeah, I had just got back from college and I played in the jazz band and percussion ensemble. I got my master's in music ed and music performance. Um, then I came back to Jersey. I went to school in Kentucky at Moorhead State University and then came back here. And, you know, I'd said, I I need to start, you know, getting it together with continuing the drum set because that was my first real drum set lessons in jazz was in college. Mm -hmm. You know, I heard of shuffles. I could do that. Then I started swinging and I went through the book and all of that stuff. So, you know, being fresh out of college and back home, I, I had joined a percussive art society. So this is a little bit of a story to get to that where I studied Peter. And one day I um, got a flyer in the mail via the percussive art society about this place called Drummer's Collective in New York City. And I got this cool flyers, learn to be a better drummer, whatever it is in New York City, come where it's, you know, where it's happening. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's where I need to be, mm-hmm. you know. Look at this brochure, studio drumming class, Afro-Cuban rhythms for drum set class, uh, this class, that class. Four or five, like, you know, it wasn't a big, you know, the collective back then wasn't like some big, you earned a degree and all this stuff. It's just like, here, man, take this 12-week class. It was a boot get camp. Immersed, but get that 12-week boot camp, and then you break off and do some lessons. Then take the next 12-week class. Then take the next 12-week class. You know, so that's what I did. I joined up into the... Um, into one of the class, I think I did. I think this the studio drumming class. Now they didn't have a regular recording studio, um, but that's where I met a man who was going to be influential in my career that I didn't know at the time. His name is Hank Jaramello. He taught that class, studio drumming class, and then he basically had a check this out, a reel to reel that he would bring into the class. They didn't have a real recording studio, but then he'd mic the drums. But he played on, he had some Gino Vanelli stuff that he did and some other, and like jingles, he was a big jingle guy and Broadway guy. He had all of these on a, on a, on a reel. Mm-hmm. So he put the chart up and say, okay, here's how you do it in the studio for real. You look at this, let's go through the roadmap. Boom, you'd hit that. It'd be a click on it and boom, off you went. Right. So oh, this, this is what I need right here. So we started reading charts. And he put up a chart one day for a show that he was doing called The Chorus Line. And um, I had heard about the show, but he put up the chart. And he's, I'm hearing the music. He's, he's playing it. And I'm, I did pretty good. You know, listen, I was in school for five years. I better have learned something. Yeah. right? <laughs> so, you know, he got me. He's like, hey, man, you did really good. And then as we got, I started taking some lessons with him. He goes, why don't you come watch the show? So I came in and watched The Pit. And from there, he asked me to sub the show. And that sort of got my career going. But that being said, I took another class on uh, Afro-Cuban Rhythms for Drum Set. That's where I met Frankie Malabe, and I studied congas with him for like a year privately and did all the Afro-Cuban stuff with Drum Set. And then Peter Erskine, they used to, they would bring in people to do master classes. Right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot. Like, and if you were in New York, 
you were at the collective either practicing. <laughs> you know, that's where I met Anton Fig, actually. He was in there practicing. And he had just got my <laughs> snare drum rudiments video. <laughs> nice. So we hung out. That's where I first met Anton. And I took a master class with Peter Killing, you know, because he was doing the steps ahead thing at that point. He, Neary and, and um, you know, um, word of mouth, big band of Jocko and stuff. Right, uh, right. That's how I met Jocko, but he would come to the collective a lot. He just hang out. Yeah. So after the master class, you know, I, I asked him, you know, thank you, you know, this and that. So I'd love to take, you know, a couple lessons with you. He goes, I have to hear you play first. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. So he waited for the room to clear out. He asked me to play, and I in my background. Okay, here's my number. And so basically, he said, "Call me, and, and you just come up to my apartment on 23rd Street. I got my my yellow, you know, canary Yamaha yellow." Get up <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we went there, and you know, I would go there, you know, at least two, three times a month. Yeah, you know, at least once a week, and we'd just kick it, you know. It was an hour, but we always went over, man, a couple hours, you know, and listening to records and playing. And if he was playing at 7th Avenue South or somewhere, you know, hey, man, come hang out. You know, you can help me with my kit. I was like, yeah, I'm all about it. You know, let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and so it was fun. I learned a lot that way. You know, was the first thing he asked me to play, you know, and I'm, I'm swinging and stuff. And I'm left hand is playing like page 23 of the Chapin book or right, something, right. you know. And I'm doing my thing, and he goes, okay, cool. Uh, let's try it again. One, two, <laughs> one, two. And I'm like, oh, shit, what do I do? You know? Right. And I'm like, dang, dang, dang. Yeah. I didn't know what the hell to do. He goes, yeah, exactly. So this is how he <laughs> broke me down on how to play my ride cymbal with that nice, relaxed triplet thing yeah. that he does. And he just focused my time, you know, and, and the space between the notes more than anything. So I, I was, he was a big influence, you know, and then listening to him play live was huge. And um, again, seeing Gad live yeah. at McKell's and so playing like, with stuff. You're, 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 echoing, uh, you're echoing something that, uh, you know, most people who have studied with Erskine uh, talk about, which is just Erskine like stripping you down to nothing yeah. right like whatever you throw at him he's just gonna say can you make music with quarter notes <laughs> at 60 yeah you have to <laughs> you know yeah it, you know but i think it's more than than him like doing that to, to break you down i mean he's he's doing it to focus your time right and focus your intent by I stripping think. it out and your tent, you, yeah, you by taking some of that stuff out, you know. Yeah, you you mentioned watching him live, and I immediately thought of the first time I saw him live with his trio. Um, and you know, I was like, I don't know, twenty one or something, and I was I was just blown away and mesmerized by the simplicity and the intent that he played with. Very meaningful, yeah. yeah. Everything that he that he plays, there's a purpose. And I'll tell you another story. Um, I, one of the times I went to hang um, was uh, he was sitting there for Mel Lewis. Hmm. It was a lot. It was Vanguard. He's like, you know, I'm playing, you know, sitting in. It's like, oh, man, cool. Because I you know, haven't played this group for, for a while. And, you know, and he's like telling me how the charts are this and that and getting involved. And I was like, oh, this ought to be a trip. So, you know, I. Went in there and you know he's just doing his thing. And 
hitting all the kicks. These the ones that I thought it could hit. Right. He was doing was reading, opening up these, you know, five, six page epic Mel Lewis charts and, and um, stayed for both sets and till three in the morning, whenever they got done. But after like the first set, sitting there and he comes over the table, like, man, you know. So listen, you know, as you, you know, you're talking about setups and we're going over setups and how to do those better and all that. I said, man, you, some of the stuff you played, goes, well, it's been a long time, but a couple of them, no, I haven't played. I said, how did, how do you manage to get all the kicks? So, uh, it was the ones I didn't get that you don't, that you don't see. Mm. Because all I did was I kept the time going and I picked and, cho- and chose the ones that were important. I didn't get every little one. So if I didn't hit one, you didn't really notice it. I said, no, it sounded to me like you hit them all. He goes, it was a few I didn't, but you don't know that. Right. <laughs> right. He hit the important <laughs> ones. The important ones and just kept the time going and, you know, kept the band moving. Yeah. So that's a big lesson in and of itself in one night, you know. Right. So, so many big band charts do not set up drummers to succeed, either by not giving enough information or by giving too much information. It's just written wrong. You know, yeah. It's just written. Yeah. And, and Erskine, gotta, is, he's, he's just a master at like immediately deciphering what the, the chart needs from the drummer, no matter what the chart actually says. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Especially if he, knew, if he knew the tune. So he was great. So those are my those are my biggest influences, man. But still to this day, you know, I, I'm always listening back to those guys. But you know, even you know newer drummers. I mean, I you know, I really, you know, in many ways, and not just the drumming ways, but in the spiritual way, love gospel music. Mm-hmm. And and I was doing a tour of Dream Girls um, before it was supposed to come to broad, come back to Broadway, and sadly there wasn't a house, so we ended up in Buffalo and they're like, okay, guys, tour over. And I was like, oh, that was a drag. Mm. So I thought it was going to, you know, come back to Broadway. But anyway, so I did the tour. And on that tour, I played with so many great musicians and many of them at the gospel church. And um, I grew up listening to some of that too in, in my neighborhood growing up. But um, at that point, like what they call contemporary gospel was really, really starting to come on, you know, mm-hmm. God, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, starting to really come come to the forefront of gospel music. And I was, got turned on to a lot of great music and a lot of great drummers. That's when I first heard of Calvin Rogers. It was a while back, you know, and, and just starting to learn about who some of these drummers are, who are just making great music and, you know, playing so passionately, but also, you know, um, very musically, you know, to me, gospel music is not really gospel chops. And that's the sad part is, you know, we as a drumming community sometimes just want to, you know, get to the meat and potatoes and call it you know, gospel chops. Although, listen, gospel chops, they promoted their own thing. They promoted it being gospel chops. Right. Me, it's not. It's about the music more than anything. And, you know, there's points in the music where you're inspired to, to play certain things and it brings you to that moment yeah i think like any other genre or any other style of drumming you know there's there's good versions and bad versions of it um there there are versions that are self-indulgent and all about the drums and not very musical but also versions that are all about the music they're using the same vocabulary a lot but like using it in you you can tell who's using it in um 
you know, a, yeah, a, a like musical a way and who like who's playing music and who's playing the drums. Right? right. So if you like the whole song, like if you listen to the song, you want to hear that song again or it doesn't make you go, oh, man, that's something like that. You know, because of the way the drums sound, the way the, the way it's being a little bit too much in your face or whatever, the music is going to tell you one way or the other if it fits you. So I got into listening to um and you know, learning and meeting drummers like Jeff Lowe Davis, rest in peace. He was a big gospel influence of gospel drummers and bringing in the modern age and, and contemporary grooves. He was a sweetheart of a man and a street drummer. I just so just a lot of different guys, you know. And, and then I had an opportunity to play in Patty LaBelle's band because mm-hmm. um, I had met some some Philly musicians. I was playing bunch around philly because i'm where i live i'm back and forth in new york and philly so one of the cats i met was this dude at hamilton really really excellent guitar player i did like four or five of his records and he got a lot of great musicians on it um gerald beasley on bass and uh, stanley clark was on a couple tracks it's with his tenor bass yeah and then i met a percussionist named jose rossi who was in weather report he was um couple of Breath Report records, Domino Theory, and I think one other, two other, with Victor and Omar. And I met him. He would sit in with us. And I also didn't know that he was also Patty LaBelle's percussionist for many years. So when that chair opened up, he recommended me, and I went in an audition and got the gig. It was a very strange audition. Hmm. Probably one of the strangest auditions I've, I've ever done. The Patty LaBelle audition? So we're in, I have to, I tell this one every clinic too, and I know it's not done this way anymore, but she had a big open warehouse. I don't know if she does or not with a band with hers. I showed up when I was supposed to show up, but they said, bring your drums. Okay. I mean, that doesn't really happen at auditions. You're usually at a studio where there's a kit or whatever. Right. So I said, all right, I'll bring my drums. So I brought my drums. Uh, and little did I know there's going to be four other guys and they all brought their drums. <laughs> So it was one stage, but I got there first. So I loaded up on the stage and the other guys load set up around like next to the stage, like in a, in a like in an arc. Yeah. And the rest of the band. It was the strangest thing. So I jammed a little bit, then he would jam a little bit, and then the MD walked in and uh, Bud Ellison, he was a sweetheart of a man. Looked like Ray Charles. Hmm. Wore sunglasses inside and he was not blind. <laughs> he said all right, we're going to do Lady Marmalade first. All right, you know that. Know that beat well. So he goes, I was going to, I was going to think we're all going to get called in one at a time. Because everybody stay here. Everybody stay here. This is going to be crazy. He goes, points to me, goes, you play the kick drum part. Goes, and that's how you play the hi-hat part. Goes to this guy, you play the snare drum part. Goes to this guy, you don't do nothing. He posts this guy, you play a fill when I point to you. <laughs> so here we go. One, count off one, two, three. So I'm like, boom, boom, boom. And I, I'm, right, right. I'm learning that, you know, if you don't know the beat, you're not going to play it right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Their part is, boom, tot, 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 right? Right. So what he was trying to do was he didn't give a crap if you're a good drummer, really. He wanted to see if he could 
you could follow direction. Right. Or And if you knew your shit, if you the were part. prepared. And if you knew right. the part, you could play the part. Whew. But he wanted to see who was going to give him shit, probably, more than anything. <laughs> right, <you know>? right. <laughs> he was going to look at him like, man, you're crazy. I'm not doing this or whatever, or uh-huh. laugh at him or whatever. So, But what happened was like three of them cut themselves right at that, at that moment. Oh, brutal. So, because they basically you know, didn't really know the part. And then they were kind of joking around with it. Didn't listen to him and stuff. He thought it was a big joke for me. I just sat on that bass drum, mm. man. He told me to play the bass drum. I'm playing the damn bass drum. Like it's the only thing on this planet. I'm not touching the hi-hat. I'm not touching the snare. Right. It's a true story, man. That's a, that's gospel. Love that's that. a true story. I want to talk to you about the whole Broadway thing. We've we've been talking about it quite a bit lately for for a few reasons. But you know, I've interviewed uh, a number of cats recently, and um, I myself am about to uh, go on tour next month with the touring production of Ain't Too Proud. Oh, nice, man! Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about it. Um, That's great. I watched that book with the yeah with Clayton, right? He did a great job. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I I saw just on your bio and everything how much Broadway experience you had, and it seems to me like if if you get into that world, even as a sub, you can stay in that world if you want. Um, and you and you can not work. It really depends. Really, there's no magic. Yeah, man, there's no magic bullet. Because if that was the if that was the case, I'd have been at a show by now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was playing the chorus line once, twice a week for years. Yeah, yeah. Then I went into Greece and I sold for Norbert years. Then I did a tour of Dreamgirls for like six months. Mm-hmm. Then I came back and did, I did um, Footloose for Clint a bunch, a lot, a lot. Yeah, I just interviewed Clint. Great guy, great drummer. Yeah. Talk about somebody who's been around New York forever in the day. Great drummer. Yep. You know, so that's not necessarily the case. It's who you know, mm-hmm. and it's pure. It's purely and simply that. Right. Being there of knowing a, a conductor, not even the 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 um the contract because the contractor he's going to defer to the to the conductor. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know the conductor, and I've known a bunch of conductors who thought, and assistant conductors who were like first piano players who thought, man, you know, great sound great man you know it's like hey man hit me up you know if you need anybody yeah but it's how you hang sort of and you know who you know but it's friends a lot of it is friends yeah and i'm talking to tv show so (laughs) you gotta know 
a guy who's a buddy of yours or a friend of yours or know somebody. That's a that is a lot of it. And I, I know I know at least two or three guys I can name right now that have subbed their tails off on so many shows, and they don't they never got called to do a show. Hmm. And once that one show closes, you'd think that you'd be able to bounce into something else. show. No, he's already got guys. They already got just their their guys. Right, you know, right. just like you were one of the, the guys. You know, like for example, I'll give you straight up, pure and simple. Like excellent drummer Paul Davis, and um, he was one of my students at the collective. He was coming in with this thing. He's like, you got to help me do this. Can you help me come up with this? Let me do that. How do I do a setup for this? How do I do it? And he was telling me, I'm working on this project. Okay, cool. I'll help you, man. It's what you're here for. You know, let's do it. All right, I got to create this thing. Okay, cool. Let's do it. Little did I know, we're working on his his book, which is great. Mm -hmm. And he was the drummer for Newsies, which right. I found out. Right. That, that was, he got the gig for that, which is so awesome. The way that Paul is, he turned around and said, Pat, I, you know, you got to come in and sub. And I was like, dude, I'd be honored. That's great. Thanks mm -hmm. for asking me. Go, so shit, you know, you helped me get to this point, you know. So you have things like that that go on in every camp. Right. Right. Like a friend of somebody, like, or you helped him out or whatever. Now you got to get him in. That kind of thing. So it works. It cuts both ways. And that's what I'm saying. You gotta have a thick, thick, really thick skin in this in, in business in general. You know what I mean? You're gonna take up, be able to take rejection, be able to take positives and negatives, and and let it roll. And can't take it too personal. And we all have. Listen, we all have an ego. We all have want to be loved and accepted by other musicians. Yeah, but yeah. you're not gonna be by. By many counts, some people may not like the way you dress or they think they think something of you. Man, I've heard this is one drummer. I'm never going to say who he is that hates my guts. <laughs> and I've heard people say, dude, why does this guy talk about you like that? It's like I, I've, I've spoken to this gentleman a few times. Really, I don't really know him, know him, but I've, and he's pretty, if I told you his name, you'd be like, really? <laughs> and he's like, he don't like you. That's fine. I'm, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, maybe. But then I got me thinking, what have I ever done to this guy mm -hmm. for him to talk shit about me to somebody else? That happens in this business. Mm -hmm. you know. It does. It happens, man. And I don't know for what reason why somebody would say something like that. All I know is I've been doing this for many years. And if I was not that good of a guy or if I sucked at what I do, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 30, 30 years in, you know, what coming out of school is a 19 year old little puppy, you know? Right. So, you know, it's, that's part of the Broadway scene. And what you got to do is you got to network, got to meet people, but at the same time, and it's like, so here's the rub, right? If you go and hang, right. And usually this drummer's here and you're this, yeah, we're all meeting at this restaurant to have whatever, you know, drink and you go and hang. I mean, you're going to hang because you want to meet these people but it's, and talk to them and have a good old time. But you're also an ulterior motive is to hang so that they get to know you so that they can use you for a gig. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't that part of the let's not bullshit each other here. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, so for me, I've never been a hanger. Uh huh. I have my friends, but I'm not an ass kisser. Right. All right. Straight up. I mean, I'm not. I'll be your friend. I, you know, I'm going to I'm friends with so many people, but. 
no, you got to come here and hang. What time is it? Oh, it's, it's, you know, we start to hang at midnight to us. Like, man, I, no, I'm sorry. I can't do it. Yeah. I'm in bed or I'm doing something or I got my family, you know, I'm not out there to hang and have a, have a brewski with you so you can use me. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. And that's part of it in that world. I mean, it's like any other world. It's, it's built on relationships. Um, you know, when, when people talk about networking, especially, you know, young drummers who want advice about networking, I'm, I'm like, just get that word out of your mouth. Like it's, this is built on relationships, like relationship, replace the word networking with the words community and relationship. Absolutely. Now, if you want to be part of that scene, then you, and you, you're going to need to whatever it's, and, and, and the other side of that is some guys don't like to, they just, you know, you know, don't like to do that thing of, okay, come and hang out and kiss the ring and I'll get you in. Mm. but and I, it used to be a lot harder back then. Now it's a little bit easier, but there's also not as many shows. Mm-hmm. But what I like to see about Broadway, the positives is there's a lot of young, young, fresh blood, you know, coming in, not a really good drummers. Yeah. And like anything else, like once you do one or two things, and then hopefully that that person, that keyboard player or whomever, will call you or recommend you to the A to the to the MD, and then you move on. Yeah. So I I've gotten recommended I'm like. For many different gigs, but not necessarily uh, to have a show. Yeah, Dream Girls that was going to come back never made it back to Broadway, so that was a bit of a trap. You know, it's, it's you know as a sub, and you you know you're you're learning the show to go on the road now. But as a sub, you put in more time learning a show than you will make. You'd have to sub that show like four or five times mm-hmm. to even get the money back and time that you spent learning <laughs> the show, the yeah. hours that you spend of your time, you could have been making money doing something else. You'd have to play that show. You know, you ain't, you're not learning that show to play it once or twice. Right. 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 After the fourth or fifth time that you, okay, now I'm starting to reap the rewards. But the, the bitch about that is you can, you can learn a show when the shit closes and, yeah. And I mean, that process has been even more protracted for me because like I, I have not played the show yet. I have not subbed on that show yet. Um, but mm-hmm. the, the process of like putting together the video audition, you know, doing doing all that right. shedding, then recording the video audition. Um, you know, I traveled out of town to go meet the, sh- you know, meet the band and audit the show and all mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. And and now I'm just in like shed mode. So, you know, already mm-hmm. there has been hundreds of hours <laughs> but you see the payoff because you're doing the tours right right and i like and there's 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 a and then we'll get off this topic i guess but talk more about the record but <laughs> we uh <laughs> we uh there's a con there's a very big contractor who's still i don't know if he's if he's um contracting as much on broadway anymore if he's a little bit out of the loop because he's removing himself from the loop called me when I was still subbing quite a bit, a couple of shows, and asked me to go on tour with a production that was not a tour for a new show that was in production to come to Broadway, but just a, like a bus and truck, actually. It wasn't I don't even know if it was a national, you know, it was a bus and truck tour. For those mm-hmm. of you who don't know that, bus and truck tours are like second city tours, like Cincinnati, Louisville, mm-hmm. you know smaller venues so not the national course of the, you know that's some of the original cast members and i was like and he asked me to he asked me to do it on percussion now 
I was a few years removed from college and I had touched a timpani or marimba in a minute. Yeah. I could have shedded it. I could have. I didn't have any instruments. That mean I'd have to go rent them and then shed the book. And I was too busy. I mean, I was, I think I was still, I was maybe doing Head of the Bells gigs still or Gloria Gaynor's or one of them, but I was in the rehearsals and doing stuff. And I, and I was honest with him and I said, listen, I, I'm really more of a drum set guy. And that's how you know me. I, I can play percussion, but I haven't. I was straight up with him. I would not be the guy to call for that. Oh, I appreciate you being honest with me. I said, but listen, man, I'm down to do a drum set book. You got it. Never call me again. Hmm. <laughs> Never called me again. Now, you take that for whatever it is. Never call me again. I wasn't mean to him. I was very professional. I was honest. I could have, I could have taken the thing, took the money, but I, you know, I would have done the show. I would have done, you know, job that I would have done. But I was straight up honest with him. Yeah. Maybe he was like, you know, my guy's got to do a tour before I, and I, and you know, yeah, some people. And kinda, I've heard that, and I've heard that before. You know what I mean? Some and people I almost felt like saying. Way. Yeah, and I was like, well, I'm not a road dog, man. I've been I've been doing this for a minute. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm that's not me. So many so. drummers we've talked to have at least one story about turning down a gig like that because it's either it's not in their skill set or um, usually because it's not in their skill set, like you were talking about. Like you know, very I'm very appreciative of the offer, but I am not your guy for this. Like you need someone. Yeah. You need someone else. Um, yeah. and, and sometimes that, uh, that comes back to you in a good way because you still make that contact. They're appreciative of you, you being honest and, mm -hmm. and then they call you for something that is in your wheelhouse. But mm -hmm. you know, other times there have been other stories where like, that was your one shot with somebody and now you're dead to them. <laughs> yeah. And if that's the case, I don't want to deal with that. Right. dude. Oh man. Right. I, you know, you ain't worth it. <laughs> no, no, not one person is worth your you know, your time like that, that's the way they yeah. want to treat you. That's the way I've kind of gone through life of things, you know, a little bit with my career, you know, people say, why, you know, I never seen you in modern drummer. And, you know, it's like, well, nobody chose to ask me to talk. Although that's going to happen in November. So oh, that's cool. <laughs> by the time this comes out, you may see me in the November issue yeah. of Modern Drummer. Nice. Nice. Yeah. The, but, the, the power mean, of no, man. We've, I, I've learned the power it's of important. no, especially over yeah. the, over the pandemic. Um, but, but just in general, like knowing, knowing when to turn something down, <laughs> whether it's something big or something And don't small. turn down bad gigs. Don't take, you know, that quote unquote you perceive as a bad gig. I mean, there is, you know, at various stages of your career, there is no such thing as a bad gig because you're going to meet other musicians and you're going to make a couple hundred bucks, hopefully. And that's something, you know, it may have meant a heck of a lot more a few years ago, but mm -hmm. financially then a couple hundred bucks means now, but it's, but it's a gig and you make, meet people and you develop your chops, you know, your, that's how you develop character. That's how you develop, you know, your professionalism. And, you know, what time I got to be there, what time I got to pack my stuff, what time I got to show up for. And, you know, and all of those things is great training. So don't yeah. turn down gigs because you think that it's a sucky gig or, you know, you can think that, you know, you're going to play a bar, a bar band, awesome bar band. And, and the bass player from Shania Twain is on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't know. You know, you, you don't know. Mm -hmm. So it's it's whatever just don't turn down gigs necessarily although like listen you'd have to pay a gig play a gig that's not to pay you that much if 
you're young enough and you say, I really need to just do this gig and meet some people, but don't be mercenary about it either. Don't, don't just, you know, I don't know. Don't accept the fact that they don't treat you with respect and don't not going to pay you at least, you know, $7,500 for a update or whatever yeah i think you know as young drummers we we just get in the habit of saying yes to everything which is what most young young drummers should do um but as we get older as we get more experienced um you know i i've 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 felt uh that no carries a lot more weight than it used to and there are still plenty of reasons to play uh almost any gig that comes my way but now there are a few more reasons not to do it. To say no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's okay to say no and just do it respectfully, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So you're also uh, an inventor and product designer of sorts. I'm a mad scientist. <laughs> I, I would love to hear about a couple of the a couple of the latest toys that you've had a hand in. Okay, so I designed the P4 practice pad. What people know now as the Drumio P4 practice pad. Right. And it is sitting right here but none of you can see it but what a uh, coincidence what a coincidence <laughs> so uh you know the entrepreneurial spirit i think anytime like if you're a musician you're in business for yourself mm-hmm. essentially right so like much like you're doing with your you know your podcast or whatever else you know that you do you know you have to you know, I've always looked at this as the percussion industry, you know, because even like which goes back to that, I was telling you about my first PASIC that I went to in 1982. I was a member of the uh, Bale Bridgman Drumline, and we did a clinic there. And that was my first percussive art society that I went to. And I thought, just look at all of this percussion gear. I was in college. This is great. So I'm thinking about, you know, this is an industry. That's when I really got my eyes set about this is an industry. So you're in the, you're in the business for yourself. So you know you're always trying to reinvent the wheel a little bit, but like the world didn't need another practice pad, <laughs> or at least not the kind of practice pad that we all know. Right? right. So I was teaching a class at the collective. Here we go again with that place. What a great facility that was. Man. Hmm. It was a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, well, not beautiful looking necessarily. It didn't smell that great either, but you know, yeah. anyway, it was home. Uh, I was teaching a class. Uh, they had a bunch of, um, you know, HQ pads. And I was working on a something with the class and we were in a semicircle. And I was demonstrating something. And um, 
it might even, you know what? It might've been a groove class. So that's why I did this. I said, I need another pad. So I reached over and grabbed another pad and flipped it over to the hard side. Mm-hmm. And I set it on top, but I moved it up a little bit and let it rest on something. So I basically had, and it raised it up like whatever it is, like an inch mm-hmm. or whatever. Had two pads. So the bottom was the normal. And then I moved up to the hard plastic. And I was like, see, and you do the, the, the ride symbol up here in my left hand was down below. So I had the levels. And then I went ding, 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 ding. I said <laughs> this now, you know, now there's been split pads, but not raised. Right. Different. Right. Right. So I, that's when the wheels started turning. So I went back home. My brother was retired. My older brother was retired. Had a wood shop. I said, listen, man, I brought him this practice pad. I said, this well, I'm going to take this. I brought him a couple old practice pads. I had to cut it in half, glued it on top. I said, look at this. It was heavy as hell. <laughs> but it was, two, at first it was two levels. Yeah. It was like the regular. And then you go up in two different surfaces. And then we started messing around with it. And I said, well, that's okay. But what about, I got more. There's many different kinds of surfaces. There's a non-resistant one. There's a really hard surface, like a ride cymbal. There's a softer gum rubber. So that's when we came up with the multi-level. Mm-hmm. So we made a bunch of, the first prototype was square. Hmm. That's all he could cut. He really couldn't cut circles in his shop. <laughs> so it was square, but it was three levels. It was a hard. So then I started researching different types of rubber. What's SBR red? That's the really hard rubber. It feels like a hi-hat or a ride cymbal. Mm-hmm. You know, what's neoprene? Black neoprene is like when you flip the pads over, that black stuff, it's neoprene. Okay, so the SBR is 75 duro. The black neoprene is about a 55 or 60 durometer. Regular gum rubber is about a 35 or 40, 45 durometer. That's what gives you the different feels and the different rebounds and the different sounds. Mm-hmm. And then I found this really soft, spongy rubber at this place in Asbury Park here in New Jersey. And they match where they manufacture it. Hmm. So I bought and you know, started making, you know, again, you've got to invest a little bit of bread to make some bread, right? right. And I said, hey, I'll make these. My brother will make them. I'll, I'll put it out there and people, you know, we'll see if people want it. And I started selling them uh, on Facebook and um, started, you know, they loved it. And they were like, wow. So we shipped them. We had a little cottage industry going. Made my money back and then some, you know, mm-hmm. enough to keep making. So we sold a few hundred probably. Yeah. Those are collector's items. If you own one, hold on to it. <laughs> so then I was signed to Ludwig at the time and he had just had a new turnover of, of people at Ludwig. And I brought it, again, the entrepreneurial thing, I brought it to PASIC, and then I brought it to one of my first NAMM shows that I went And I showed it to the guys, and I said, man, listen, Ludwig hasn't had a practice pad in forever, you know? And I showed him, and, and one of the guys there, Grant Henry, I'll never forget him, he was a general manager of Con Selmer, and, and, and um, he looked at that, and he goes, now, that's innovative. Hmm. And, and he goes, uh, you're right. That's not your basic practice pad. You know, it doesn't make any sense for us to put out a basic practice pad when the market's already covered, but that's pretty damn cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I let, I said, here, take it. So he took it back to, uh, to the headquarters. He says, do you mind if I have our engineers tweak this, check it out? Do your thing. Could those guys cut a circle? Yeah, those guys could <laughs> cut a damn good circle. So they went ahead and did it. They, they engineered it. They showed me, you know, they showed me the drafts and the designs. They re-engineered it. And we bought the rubber from Asbury Park. 
it was made in China, but they used the Chinese rubber, but that one gray rubber they could not find in China. They kept huh. sending it over to me, sending it over. I said, no, that's not it. You got to get it from Asbury Park. So we bought it from Asbury Park, shipped it to China. They assembled it and shipped it back man. here. Man. That crazy? <laughs> yeah, it's great. So anyways, Ludwig took it, man, and we cut up, cut a deal for, I think, five five years. It ran its course. That dude ended up leaving. I kind of let it drop. And then I said, well, I got to make it here in the States. Made some calls, and I found a guy in Moorhead, Kentucky, where I went to college. It's hmm. back, about a CNC machine. He started making them. I bought the rubber from Masbury Park, and he started making the new P4 practice pad. I was gonna, I put it on on my Facebook page. Hey, those of you who love the P4 pad, it's coming back. Literally the next day, Jared from Drumio messaged me, and he's like, "Dude, what is that?" <laughs> <laughs> So do you know about the Ludwig? He goes, I think I might have seen it. I sent him one. He goes, we got to, this has got to, we have to have this. We got to do this. Yeah. So uh, we struck a deal and it's been the drumming OP4 practice pad for going on six, seven years now. Nice. So there's the P4 pad. It all came from teaching mm-hmm. that idea of the multi-level, multi-surface thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a uh, bunch of years back, I started working with Paul Francis on a rod symbol. Um, he's not with Zildjian anymore, but um, I was using the uh, high-definition rod, which I really liked quite a bit. The only thing with it, it didn't have a great bell. Uh, but it was 21, which I really liked. I like 21s so, too. Yeah, so I was using the high-definition rod, and I was using the original Special Dry before mm. they redesigned it. But that was a bit heavy. Couldn't really crash it. Very, it was like the, the Sabian Jack D. Jeanette ride. Yeah, very yeah. dry. So I said, Paul, man, let's, let's, we gotta like, this is Terry Lynn's, that symbol is really great. It doesn't, you know, it is what it is, doesn't have a bell. This symbol's got a great bell, but really doesn't have much tone at all. I'm looking for a 21 that you can crash on great bell, but gets out of the way and goes back to that stick articulation really really good mm-hmm. and i would love it unlaid i would love it buffed on the bottom he goes well that's going to help open the spread i said beautiful we went back and forth for a year or two every time they made some prototypes and brought it to basic they sold out hmm. he would go to any drum shop memphis drum shop boom sold out anytime he never zildjian day boom sold out so we knew we were doing something right yeah Three or four years later, he calls me one day. He goes, man, it looks like we want to put this on the market. <laughs> Came out of nowhere. I said, listen, I got my symbol. I'm happy. And, you know, again, <laughs> you know what I mean? If they want to put it out, you can't keep, you can't just like say, hey, let's put it out. Hey, call them next week. Hey, let's put it. You can't do that. You know, they sell, they sell the prototypes. They get it in, you know, see how it goes. He said, we want to market it. We're going to put it out there. So it took us another year to really tweak it, design it. And it's been there like hot selling ride symbol for many years. And Sweetwater.com, it's like they have a package of Zildjian symbols that's called the studio pack. Mm-hmm. If you go on Sweetwater and you want, or you have a recording studio and you want to get, like they put together a ride, a crash set of two crashes, a set of hats, and the organic ride is part of that pack. Nice. Because it's so great in the studio, you know? Yeah. 
great articulation. You can crash it, gets right out of the way. Beautiful tone, not harsh, not kind of like, you know, it's just beautiful tone, great bell. And like a lot of drummers are using it. I see, I'm so happy, man. Like the few guys I can name that you really loved it. Um, J. Rod Sullivan. I don't know if you know J. Rod. Yeah, I've interviewed him. He's an Atlanta guy. Dennis Chambers. He's great. Dennis Chambers uses it a lot. My buddy Dennis loves it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Justin Scott loves it. I heard he just switched the mind a little. So that's that's a bit weird, but good for him. (laughs) So um, he loved it. He was like, you know, so a lot of drummers, new young, new younger drummers love it. And I was really happy that people has been, you know, really receptive to, to the ride. Zone. So, and now we're working on a prototype 19, which I have actually, that's a crash ride. So we're working on a 19, uh, crash ride, little buddy, like little sister that nice. has a little bit more crash than ride and a little bit, a little bit trashy, just a smidgen, just a smidgen. <laughs> Just a, a just a belt. taste of trash. Yeah, you know, it's just a taste of trash in there. <laughs> um, but it's definitely a, a crash ride. Yeah. Because they don't have a lot of really good crash rides in their line. So just, you know, again, just designing stuff and creating stuff, writing books, you know, the Hudson Music stuff I have out, Learn to Read Rhythms Better. That's on Hudson Music. My Hands, Grooves, and Fills is on Hudson, Hudson Music. And my relationship with Drumio has been great all these years. I mean, since the P4, even before the P4, I was doing some videos with them. Been to their studio three, four times. I got probably a couple hundred lessons in their archive. Mm-hmm. If you're a member of Drumio, you can definitely see a tons of boatload of lessons in their, on their site. Um, so just playing and teaching and making records and playing with different people and playing the music that I like. Yeah. Play, you know. You're it's a lot of hats, man, and you're you're wearing the shit out of them all. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying, man. I gotta you know, I gotta and we all gotta just keep, you know, making a living and you know, you just gotta keep changing lanes, like with the whole, you know, video I have a whole video production set up here and I got three or four cameras. I have the auto mutes system uh, in my studio, uh, black magic design. I endorse um, also Ludwig Evans, um, Gazildjian, of course. And I just switched to Vic Firth. Uh, I like the X55A. Oh, cool. So I like that stick. And Earthworks microphones. Yeah. Which are great. Yeah, yeah. Great microphones. So, you know, um, that's kind of the gist of things. And, you know, in terms of the record, just trying to... You know, right now, if you go to any platform, you can download it. Um, on if you want vinyl, um, I know there's a handful of record stores around the country. The the niche um, boutiques shops are ordering like five at a time, so they're starting to get out there now that we got the the records in. And uh, you know, patpdrummer.com is where you can get swag and and you can maybe just get the CD there. If not, I can point you to Amazon. Probably by the time this comes out, it'll be on Amazon. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the streaming, you can get it anywhere. And so, um, just real proud of the record and, you know, great guys. Now Rogers, you know, another cat, you know, you grew up listening to those great songs yep, and, yep. you know, to really to jam out with him was a lot of fun. Just, you know, pocket and just, <laughs> yeah. when you hear that in your headphones, you're like, I know that. I know that. Yeah. That's yeah. good times. I know what that is, <laughs> you know? Right. And, um, 
Osnoy, great, great player. And um, I have Felicia Collins, another great guitar player on it. And a lot of guest guitar players. Is um, she is she the guitarist that was on uh, the Letterman show for so many she was years? On the Letterman show, yeah. yeah, man, so great, really good player. Yeah, and um, uh, Scott Ambush played bass on a lot of things from Spyrogyra. Mm-hmm. Um, who else? Uh, David Cook on keyboards. He's Taylor Swift's MD, but great keyboard player, real versatile cat. Um, yeah, we did it at Power Station. Yeah. And a, a real cool thing with with big man on big man on Mulberry Street that we covered, um, you know, Liberty DeVito was on that original great track. So I basically, you know, talked to him about, hey man, I'm going to do this cover. Do you mind if I use your beat? <laughs> <laughs> no, I. He says absolutely not. So uh, I took Liberty's groove, his thing, and then kind of spun it a little bit and created some other things around that. And uh, we did a big band big shuffling kind of groove around that and but he told me that he tracked it at power station at studio c with rory hendrickson engineering he was an assistant engineer wow (laughs) now full circle moment man that's so great that's awesome in that same very same room he goes man i remember cutting that i was up on a riser and he's telling me all these stories and you know so shout out to liberty you know Man, it's a great it's a great record. It's a great uh, it's a great collection of tunes and and music and drumming. Um, so congratulations on it. I I hope Thank it you, uh, I hope it goes high and far. Me too. Me too. This you know what, uh, drummers. You know if you if you um, if you want, I think we're going to have also um, a drumless version of that on my website too. Oh, you killer. may want to definitely go to my website. We'll have the drumless tracks available maybe pdfs maybe 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 but if not you'll have the drumless tracks and you can play along too. is that so, going to drop at the same time as the record like no that's no records coming out um well, my time you hear this it's been out yeah uh, october 7 so by the time you hear this it could be available on my website at pat p drummer yeah cool pat p drummer.com and instagram is pat p drummer see how i did that yeah <laughs> pretty easy it's and you know keep why it consistent Be- and keep it consistent <laughs> yeah, man. because people always spell my last name wrong right get- mine too mine too yeah it's like every variation under the sun yep well hey man it was it was great talking to you i really appreciate you doing it uh once again best, thank you for having me best we, of luck i know we the, talked a long time yeah yeah mm-hmm. we got it in best of luck with the record and uh and all your little gadgets and toys and bells and whistles um yes yeah really really uh, appreciate you doing it man great talking to you I appreciate you having me on for sure. There you go, Pat Petrillo. Check out the NYC Big Rhythm Band's new record, The Power Station Sessions, wherever you get music, and check out the P4 Practice Pad, available at multiple retailers. Once again, I'm in San Francisco with Ain't Too Proud until December 4th. Go to ain'ttooproudmusical.com for tickets, and hit me up on Instagram if you want to say hi. Come on back next week for Matt Krause's interview. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.